Before we begin in 1 Corinthians 7, I did want to remind you that in your bulletin there is an update from the Colby Holmes family to Argentina. And they have closed out their over a decade of ministry, planting a church and raising up leaders and turned that over to a leader who emerged from their midst and now they are in the process of beginning another church. So pray for evangelistic opportunities, pray for discipleship opportunities. Uh, in the new town of Bragado, and uh, they have just uh, settled down in a home uh, there uh, to uh, settle in the neighborhood and pray that the Lord uses their ministry there in Argentina. There are many Christians who do not subscribe to the legitimacy of singleness. There's pain and hurt in the church because of that wrong understanding about singleness. Sometimes directly or indirectly, subtly or not so subtly, we have given an understanding to singles that they are in a sense unfinished business. We might say without even thinking about it in groups or in private conversations, aren't you married yet? Or what's a nice person like you doing unmarried? What you need is a good wife or a good husband. Have you found anybody yet? I'm praying the Lord will lead you to such and such. It's too bad that they're not married. And there might be better ways of saying those things. But I want you to understand that parents can say that, relatives can say that. Family reunions are notorious for these kinds of things, aren't they? Books and articles written from a Christian viewpoint that say, kind of give you the impression that if you only commit your life to Christ, God will give you a life partner, life marriage partner. Jesus never said that, by the way. He said He will lead you, however, to a life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment in Him, no matter what your station. He never promised a spouse. And we need to accept, as Christ church, the legitimacy of singleness. Certainly, we rejoice with singles who find the one who God would have them be joined with for the rest of their lives. But there will always be singles in the church. And there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning, Christ will show us the blessings of singleness in His Word. We need to accept the legitimacy of singleness because there's some people whose circumstances involve singleness and they may have no opportunity to change. Others have the gift of celibacy and therefore prefer not to change. And primarily we need to accept the legitimacy and the blessings of singleness because God does. And the Bible does. The Word of God does. And so we have to read the Bible carefully, understand the blessings of Singleness. For the sake of God's glory, think wisely in our text here, if you're single, about the possibility of marriage. Think wisely about it. And secondly, for the sake of God's glory, think positively about the advantages, the blessings of singleness. And by the way, it's fine to pray for a single to find a mate. Just be praying that it's according to God's will. The thrust of chapter 7 is very clear. In verses 1 through 16, the apostle addressed married couples. In verses 2 through 7, 
Then he addressed the unmarried in general terms, uh, widows or widows and widowers in verses 8 and 9. Those who may be contemplating divorce, he gives a strong warning to. And those who may have come to Christ later on in their life after they're married and find themselves married to an unbeliever, he gives instruction in verses 12 through 16. And last week in verses 17 through 24, we saw that the underlying principle of all this, no matter what station of life or circumstances you find yourself in, is to walk as you are called. To whatever you find yourself, uh, do all to the glory of God. In verses 17 through 24. And now we pick up in verses 25 through 40 and what just about every commentator I read said is the most difficult passage in the book of 1 Corinthians. To understand, to apply. Because when we read these letters, we are opening someone else's mail in a certain sense. We are not the direct addressee of these letters. And so we're reading over the shoulder. So we have to recreate what the situation was, which requires a little detective work. Little study. And this particular passage, some of the details are hard to understand and try to figure out what Paul is saying, but understand this the overall point is very clear. It is very clear. Use the situation that you are in for the glory of God, just as he has said over and over throughout this passage. And in this specific context, those who are find themselves single. So in verses 25 through 38, Paul addresses the question of virgins, those who are not married from the point of view of their potential suitors and even their actual fiancés in an engagement. And he allows them to marry, but he says, consider the wisdom of singleness as well. And he says, because of their present crisis, in verses 25 through 8, consider singleness. Because of the end of the age, in verses 29 through 31. And thirdly, because of the distractions of married life, in verses 32 through 35. However, he is giving instruction, advice, and not an overall blanket commandment, because he tempers it with the freedom of you have the opportunity to choose whether or not to be married or not. Verse 38 sums up Paul's stance on this. He who marries does right. He who does not marry does right as well, but he has additional advantages of not being married. What Paul says. Now you may be wondering, well, I am married, so what does this have to do with me? Well, some of you probably have kids. Some of you are in a stage of life where you have grandkids. Or you will come across singles in your life and you'll come across some of these uh, uh, issues and difficulties that some may be wrestling with and you can give instruction from the Word of God. And say, here's how the Word of God tells you to wisely live in light of your current state. In this chapter, Paul is not necessarily laying down hard and fast rules. He is trying to teach the Corinthians to think clearly, to think biblically, to think in light of eternity, think wisely, to think about delicate issues where there is not a clear cut answer to some of these situations. And friends, that's what the Bible's uh, uh, purpose is for believers. There are things that are absolutely clear-cut. But there are many things that we have to say, what is the overriding principle and think in light of that, how to apply it? That's what wisdom is. Skilled living. And standing at the head of this passage is Paul's goal, and the Holy Spirit's goal for us, is to keep us free from worries. 
Sometimes he simply tells people to put anxieties away, trusting the Lord for everything, as in Philippians 4.6. Here in this particular passage, he's going to come at that angle, but give some steps and some ways uh, to understand how to flesh that out specifically. My outline this, this morning uh, is, is taken from, is not original with me. It's taken from another a scholar who outlined this passage here. So do not give me credit here this morning for the outline, but I think it's a very good outline, a clear outline, and I don't normally do this, but I've used someone else's outline this morning uh, to understand this passage. What does the Bible have to say about being single? This unique design. We're aware of the fact that God has designed the relationship of marriage, and in Genesis 2, He says it was good. It was good. He said it's not good that man should be alone, and so he created more humanity, a woman for Adam. And marriage is the only relationship in which sexual intimacy can take place at all. It's God's design and God's gift. But friends, it is not the only design of God. God designed that some people would be unmarried, and that does as well fit into God's will and His purpose. So 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Josiah read verses 25 through 40, tells us the blessings, the importance even, of singleness that is given over to us. And so he says in verse 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't have clear instruction from Jesus Christ while he's on this earth here. In the Gospels, there is not clear instruction for singles. There is a passage... Uh, I believe in Matthew 19 that refers to those who are who are eunuchs. But Paul is saying with this particular uh, 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 topic here, I don't have a commandment of the Lord, yet I give you my judgment, wisdom here, as one that has obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. So what we understand here is what Paul is saying is, I can't quote Jesus on this because he didn't speak particularly uh, detailed instructions on this topic. There's nothing in the Gospel record or any record that's been laid down regarding the teaching of Jesus about the benefit of singleness uh, specifically, although He does refer to it, as I mentioned in Matthew 19, broadly. But what Paul is saying is, I am giving you instruction, the viewpoint here, wisdom, as a representative of the Lord, as an apostle, the truth that the Spirit of God reveals to, to me, I can be trusted to give you wise counsel, is what Paul is saying. And he says, I am giving you this as one that has obtained the mercy of the Lord to be faithful. One that you can be trusted in. I want you to understand right off the bat here that Paul's instructions to singles and to those who are married and know how to relate to singles is God's mercy. It is given to us because God delights in us. And God has laid out a clear path of walking in His glory as a church. So understand, first of all, that this is, this is God's mercy. This is the mercy of God that He's given us wise counsel for this specific state. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us have, if we are even married now, have at least at one time in our life, for a period of time, been single people. And so what does He say about singleness. What he says, uh, it is actually good to be single. In verse 26 he says, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. It is good to be single. It's not bad. It's good. And he gives some very important reasons why it is good. 
The first reason this morning is Paul wants us to consider the difficulties of uncontrollable things. Consider the difficulties of uncontrollable uncontrollable things. First of all, the pressure of the system. The pressure of the system. In verse 26, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Present distress. That word there means uh, is a Greek word, anakin. It means can mean violence. It's translated violence in a number of places in the New Testament. It's a word, though, that speaks of tremendous difficulty. Tremendous difficulty. In fact, uh, one of the dictionaries of the Greek language says it, 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 it indicates the tensions that exist between God's new creation and the fallen world. In other words, difficulty in life. There is a present distress that comes against God's people that Paul is talking about and probably he may be referring to a specific pressure that the people in Corinth were facing during that time in history. People have given various opinions as to what that present distress may have been. Paul may be referring to coming persecution which would take place a couple decades later throughout the whole church continue for 200 years. Extreme persecution where you're familiar with uh, Christians being thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. He also could be referring to a historical event and a famine in the time of Claudius, one of the Roman empires. We're not sure whatever the precise meaning, what he's referring to at that time, but Paul's friends and the people in Corinth were in unusually difficult circumstances. And Paul is saying at those troubled times, whether that was a famine because of a shortage of grain or coming persecution, Paul says, in this bubble of time, Paul says it's best for you to stay as you are. In other words, when the high seas are raging, don't change ships. Paul is... Assuming, as those of you who are married and have children, uh, know that it takes more effort and resources to be married, as opposed to being single in a context of a crisis that these Corinthians were experiencing turbulent times. Paul says there is value in being single because you do not have the responsibility of a whole family to feed and care for in difficult times. There's a benefit in a time of distress to not having a family you are responsible for. Paul is saying that hard times were there in Corinth and it would be about 15 years from the writing of this letter that the first persecution would break out from the Emperor Nero. Paul is saying, I want to help you through this present time. Who you are as a Christian matters much more than changing your social status. So don't be worried about marriage at this time. It's not a problem. Be worried about living for the Lord. Then he says in verse 27, Are you bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed from that marriage. Are you loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. If you are released, you have been divorced, or your spouse has died, then... Don't be driven by the need to be married again. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. Well, he says this, he throws this in because somebody might say, well, uh, I want to be unencumbered. So, Paul, you say this is good, so I'm going to divorce my spouse so I can serve Jesus. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how it goes. He's saying that singleness is not bad 
It is good when you can think about the distress that may come across uh, uh, come upon God's God's people. He's not saying they should never get married because of the circumstances of life that may be difficult. He's saying there is a benefit in being single when distresses come. Uncontrolled circumstances. He wants to help them through their present time and he's saying who you are as a Christian matters much more than changing your social status. So don't be worried about these things. But the second reason he wants us to see the blessings of, of singleness and the positivity of singleness is not just the pressure of the system, but the problems of the flesh, problems of this life, the problems of this broken world. Look what he says in verse 28. But, and if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh or in this life, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remains that both they that had wives as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. But I would have you without carefulness or free from concern, worry. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. That's his concern. But he that is married cares for the things that are of this world, how he may please his wife. What Paul is saying here is that this is there is not a command here for everybody to be single. Certainly, it seems the default of human humanity is to be married, right? But what he's saying is, uh, it is he's going to give wisdom for those who can bear this, those who are gifted for singleness, for a lifetime of singleness. He says, if you marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. A widowed person remarries, they haven't sinned, etc. Here, But he says this, just be aware of what you're getting into. Just be aware of the difficulties. Here's some practical advice. You're going to have trouble in life. What trouble is he talking about? Well, look what he says. He's talking about the kind of trouble that comes in a broken world when you have to live intimately with another sinner. I said another sinner because you're also a sinner. When two people say, I do, that's two sinners coming together. Now, the glory of the, of the Gospel, it's two sinners coming together in Christ, right? But when two people say, I do, it's two sinners living intimately together. And Paul is saying that that is a consideration you need to take. Marriage is the most intensely intimate of relationships, right? Uh, how many of you are single and you had a roommate? Maybe at college, college dorm, alright? You know that even living with a roommate, there's some tensions that can come up, right? I had some of those roommates, and I was probably one of those roommates who was difficult to live with. But the good news about that roommate is I could request a transfer of rooms if it really became an issue, or I could you know, go find another place to live, etc. here. When I was a, a single man in, in Oregon, uh, my roommate uh, worked at the Intel uh, Electronics Corporation, and he uh, worked um, a, a flex schedule, so it basically means he could go in whenever he wanted to. He was a night owl, so he would go in in the afternoon and work till late at night. And I had a, uh, a job as a, as a school teacher, and so I would, of course, go to my job in the morning and then come home in the afternoon. He would go to work when, when I would come. I would already, he would already be gone going to work when I would come home, and he would come home when I was already asleep. So we really didn't see each other very much. Um, but we really didn't have problems that way. Um, but marriage is very different than that, isn't it? 
It has trouble because you're putting two sinful people very close together. And that trouble comes from our own brokenness, our own humanity, from our sinfulness. There's always a conflict, right, of, of married life. And the word for trouble that Paul used here, uses here is the idea of pressure. And it means to be squeezed like you would, like they would in the uh, days of old, uh, when they made wine, they would squeeze the grapes together, the crushing of grapes to produce wine. And what you've got in marriage is two sinners being pressed together, don't you? Two sinners being squeezed. And in that intimacy, when we are less than perfect and we are more honestly sinners, there's going to be some trouble. There's going to be some trouble. There's going to be conflict that needs to be resolved. Trouble that wouldn't necessarily be there if you weren't married. And so Paul says, consider these problems of the flesh. Anger, selfishness, certainly, by the way, we're not saying that single people don't struggle with these things. It's just that in the, in the circumstances of marriage, these things can really be seen in a new light, can't they? Childishness, stupidity... All those things that husbands commit, forgetfulness, not listening, dishonesty, deception, pride, being unthoughtful, indulging yourselves, self-centeredness over the other. It's trouble. But friends, then you take two people who are married and you add children to the mix, right? It's like you're multiplying your monsters, right? More sinners getting crushed into this mix here and and, uh, and then uh, those you're married, you have a responsibility now, not just for your spouse, but your responsibility of children, and etc. And friends, what he's saying here is singles, don't look to marriage as a solution for your troubles. And all of us can say amen. Don't daydream about marriage thinking this is going to fix everything, right? What Paul is saying is marriage can multiply problems and go into it with that reality. He's not forbidding marriage. And he's not commanding singleness, but he's giving us some wisdom because he has a pastoral heart about his people, about what it means to be single. And realize the ben- one of the benefits of singleness is forgoing some of this being pressed into the life of another person at that level. That's what he's saying. Some people say, well, I'm lonely. I need to get married because I'm lonely. And that's a half-truth, it's not a full-truth, right? Because there are people who are married and are still lonely, aren't they? Some people say, well, I have these sexual desires, I need to be married, and Paul makes allowance for that early in the chapter, doesn't he? And that won't fix your problems, will it? What it comes down to is a surrender to the will of Jesus Christ. But the third thing Paul wants us to consider about the blessings of singleness is the passing of this world. The passing of this world. Look what he says in verse 34. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. An unmarried, the unmarried woman cares or worries for the things of the Lord, is concerned about those things, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, that she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own prophet, not that I may cast a snare or a noose upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction." Paul here, as he describes those material things that may pass away in verse 31, he says, they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion or the scheme of this world passes away. Paul's saying that the the form of this world here, marriage, 
sorrow, material things. Paul wants you to consider the passing of the world. It's all passing away. Marriage is a good thing, but friends, marriage is not forever, is it? It is not forever. Uh, Paul is saying the time is short. The time is short. The season is passing away. It's, it's, it's the idea of life is a vapor. Your marriage is just a part of that little vapor of life. And yes, treat it with honor as God intends it to be treated with if you're married. Treat it with dignity. Uh, pour into your spouse. Serve one another. But understand it is a small part in the big scheme of eternity. Because the Scriptures say in heaven, there will not be marriage, will there? Be joined to the Lord Jesus in a whole new and fuller relationship. So, attach yourself lightly to things that are not going to last for eternity. Now, he's not saying discount your marriage. He's given very clear instruction about the significance of marriage. What he is saying is that you must give to marriage a perspective that belongs to the passing of time. The reality of it. And in some ways, it will help you treasure your marriage more, won't it? But in other ways, it will help you realize what is most significant. Now in heaven, you'll have perfect love toward everyone. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll have perfect knowledge of everyone. More than you've experienced in marriage. But understand that the relationship of marriage right now, uh, 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 that you enjoy maybe physical fulfillment in, uh, procreation for children and for joy is part of the temporal life. It does not continue into eternity. Marriage is passing. And he gives examples of other things that are passing. One day, brothers and sisters who are married, brothers and sisters who are single, understand this truth about marriage. One day, marriage will bow to the heavenly family. Bow out of the way to the heavenly family with God the Father, Christ the Husband, and all believers being the bride. Weeping will cease because God's going to wipe away all tears. Earthly joys will fade into an eternal joy. Earthly joys come and go, right? Rise and fall. Eternal joys will increase in heaven. One day we're not going to have to buy things, Paul will say. That will end one day. Uh, uh, worldly pleasures, that we, the things that we try to get out of the world for fun and pleasure, um, those are going to be gone one day. Then we'll be replaced by thrills of everlasting joy is what Paul is trying to say in verse 31. The fashion of this world passes away. All part of the passing scene. So in other words, don't put human relationships, as important as they are, don't put human relationships above their true worth. Well, you might say, well, that's isn't that going to affect my marriage? I'm going, to treat, I'm going to treat my spouse with less love, less passion? No. It frames it correctly. So in the time that you have, glorify God in those relationships. Don't make those things ultimate. Don't make the gifts of God that He's given us in human relationships, including marriage, ultimates. Here's what Paul, again, wants them to see. He wants them, and he said this in chapter 1. He said this in chapter 2. He's given the the instruction in chapter 3 about all things being given to us in Christ. He wants them to 
frame their whole view of the world. The, the truth that the present day, the present world will one day give, give way to the world that is to be. A world in which Jesus will have completed His kingly work of defeating all hostile powers, including death itself. He says, live in light of that truth in whatever state you find yourself. What will matter one day is your faithfulness to the Lord in whatever state you found yourself. Marriage is sacred, isn't it? It's a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. But it is a parable, it is an illustration, a picture of that ultimate reality. It is not the ultimate reality. It is a picture of eternal reality. So understand marriage is a passing, it is a temporal thing, but pursue the kingdom of Christ. It puts that marriage in perspective. And fourthly, Paul speaks of the blessings of singleness because of the preoccupation of the married. The preoccupation of the married. Look at verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness or free from concern. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. He that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Now please understand, here is not what he is saying. Now, those who are married just, care to, married just care about the world. And singles just have this, this, this perfect uh, 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 living for, for, for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's again bringing that truth that he said before, the realities of marriage, that you are divided, you are multiplied uh, in your concerns when, you're, when you have a family, have your own family. That's what he's saying here. And there are going to be all kinds of things that play into the management and the life of a family uh, that uh, a single uh, may not have the same responsibility for. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying that married people think only of the world. He's saying that our interests start to get diversified. Here, you have a responsibility, husbands, for your wife. Love her as you love your own body. You have responsibility, uh, children, to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, and so he's saying, have that perspective. Have that perspective. In other words, when you get married, it's like you have a filter now. You have to filter your concerns and the things you do for the concerns of those who you are ultimately responsible with within that inner circle here. And Paul's saying, operate by that. He's saying one of the blessings of singleness is that you don't have to have that particular strong responsibility for a family in that way. And then in verse 35, Paul says this, This I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think he behaves himself uncomely or improperly toward his virgin, if she pass the flower age and need so require, let him do what he will, he sins not, let them marry. Paul's saying apparently in the church there were some women uh, who needed to be married. And Paul says that's okay. Marry them. Verse 37, though, Nevertheless, he that stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but his power over his own will, and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then, he that gives her in marriage does well, but he that gives her not in marriage does better. What he's saying here is that this preoccupation of the married here, the, the, the understand the responsibilities of marriage and the realities of marriage, and if you wish to be married, that's fine, go ahead and do so if it's the right one. By the right one, one who loves the Lord. One whose heart is joined to the Lord. So the ear heart being joined to the Lord will be joined to theirs as well. 
But he's also saying that there again is a benefit of thinking through this clearly and there is nothing wrong with remaining single because of the benefits that he's already mentioned. He says, I want you to be free from concern, without care, be anxiety free. When you're married, you have family, you're distracted, you're divided. An unmarried person can concentrate more fully on those things that belong in the Lord uh, outside of the care of their family, how they may please the Lord. What he's saying in verse 35 is this. He's saying, I don't want people who are single to think that they're super spiritual. Or people who are married think they're in a second class. Or the other way around. Paul is simply saying there is great benefit in being single. Blessings that you need to think about. I'm not putting a restraint on you, a noose, he says, but I'm trying to promote what is some reasonable thinking to this topic. And if it fits, put it on, wear it, Paul says. I'm not trying to throw a noose over your neck. I'm not shoving this down your throat. I'm just showing you the freedom that's available in Jesus. And Paul's saying, it would be wonderful if you so chose to secure that devotion to the Lord in an undistracted way as a single person. Nothing wrong with that, and there's great blessings, there's potential there. And by the way, we need to remind ourselves that this isn't something that will just come, that, that a single person, all these things just come naturally, right? A single, undivided, right? There's, there's a responsibility there to keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, to live uh, for, the, for the furtherance of His kingdom. So He's giving them wisdom, some practical advice. It's spirit-led device, uh, advice, but it is practical advice. And then His last point is this. Fifthly, the wife, verse 39, is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. One of the blessings of being single is understanding marriage is permanent. Right? Understanding that marriage is permanent may help you think wisely and carefully about who you marry and the purpose of marriage. Those who are married need to be reminded of this truth as well. Marriage is permanent. You said till death do us part, right? Hold to the vows. The reason we say the vows at our wedding day is not because it's a formality, but because it's we need the vows. Because the vows transcend the circumstances of our lives and the enemies that may fight against the truth of those vows. So Paul here is saying, once you're married, it's till death. A single person has liberty. They are not bound to that person till death. So he really is talking about the virtues of being single. Well, should a person stay single? Well, if they have that gift. Paul has said that earlier in chapter 7, hasn't he? Look in chapter 7. And verse 7, For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man has his proper or own gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Some have the gift of, 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 of not having any desire for the, for the marriage relationship. And that, Paul says, is a gift. 
Some are single, but you do not have that gift in the sense that you do have a desire to be married. Regardless of where you are in that station of life, pursue the Lord. Pursue the Lord. If you have the gift of remaining single for the uh, rest of your life, then don't pursue being married, Paul says. If you don't have that gift, and marriage does not feel like a, 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 a desire for you, uh, 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 or marriage does feel like a desire for you, um, don't look at singleness as a second-class life. God will give you that grace to get through that singleness to the time where He desires you to be married. See, where this all comes together, the beauty of singleness and the beauty of marriage comes together in one person, Jesus Christ. And let me explain what I mean by that. The person of Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior, Jesus who left the glories of heaven to serve without reservation, to obey the will of His Father, to live sacrificially, to, for, to give His life as a ransom for many, as a what? As a single man. Perfectly fulfilling the requirements of pleasing God on our behalf. Dying for our rebellion, though He was innocent on the cross, to bring us to His Father. And He died as a single man. But friends, let's be reminded that the person of Jesus is where singleness and marriage meet. Because Jesus Christ, though He is the ultimate single, He's also the ultimate groom who will be joined to a bride. And though he died as a single man, he died for, Ephesians says, a bride, a bride of a company of whoever will believe upon him and be joined to him spiritually as his bride and as their groom. So in the end, singleness meets at the juxtaposition of Jesus Christ. Marriage meets the person of Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate single and he is the ultimate groom who is awaiting his bride. Singles follow his utter focus on obeying the Lord. Marrieds follow his focus on obeying the Lord. But marrieds follow his utter devotion to his bride. Serve Jesus, singles and marrieds, in whatever situation you find yourself. And do not let your situation determine your identity. Let Jesus determine your identity through the truth of the Word of God, of the unchanging reality of who you are and Jesus Christ. Let's pray.